Chapter Three of the Missing Bride. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Missing Bride by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Three Young America in eighteen fourteen young students of the neighboring academy mere boys of from thirteen to eighteen years of age but brave spirited vigorous lads well mounted well armed and led on by the redoubtable college hero cloudsley mornington they rushed forward they surrounded they fell upon the marauders with an absolute shower of blows give it to the men this is for fanny this for edith and this and this and this for both of them shouted cloudsley as he vigorously laid about him strike for hay hill and vengeance let them have it my men and you little fellows small young gentlemen with the souls of heroes and the bodies of elves who can't strike a very hard blow aim where your blows will tell aim at their faces this for fanny this for edith shouted cloudsley reining his strokes right and left but never at random he fought his way through to the miscreant Thorg. Thorg was still on foot, armed with a sword, and laying about him savagely among the crowd of foes that had surrounded him. Cloudsley was still on horseback. He had caught up an axe that lay carelessly upon the lawn, and now he rushed upon Thorg from behind. He had no scruple in taking this advantage of the enemy, no scruple with an unscrupulous monster, an outlawed wretch, a wild beast to be destroyed, when and where and how it was possible. And so Cloudsley came on behind, and elevating this formidable weapon in both hands, raising himself in his stirrups and throwing his whole weight with the stroke, he dealt a blow upon the head of Thorg that brought him to the earth, stunned. From the impetus Cloudsley himself had received, he had nearly lost his saddle, but had recovered. They fly, they fly, by the bones of Caesar, the miscreants fly. After them, my men, after them, pursue, pursue, shouted Cloudsley, wheeling his horse around to follow. But just then, the young British officer standing near Edith, resting on his sword, breathing, as it were, after a severe conflict, caught Cloudsley's eyes. Intoxicated with victory, Cloudsley sprang from his horse, and raising his axe, rushed up the stairs upon the youth. Edith sprang and threw herself before the stripling, impulsively clasping her arms around him to shield him, and then throwing up one arm to ward off a blow, looked up and exclaimed, He is my preserver, my preserver, Cloudsley. And what did the young ensign do? Clasped Edith quietly but closely to his breast. It was a beautiful, beautiful picture. Nay, any one might understand how it was, that not years upon years of ordinary acquaintance could have so drawn, so knitted these young hearts together as those few hours of supreme danger. My preserver, Cloudsley, my preserver. Cloudsley grounded his axe. Well, I don't understand that, Edith. He is a British officer. He is my deliverer. When Thorg set his men on me to hunt me, he cast himself before me and kept them at bay until you came. Mutinied, exclaimed Cloudsley in astonishment and a sort of horror. Yes, I suppose it was mutiny, said the young ensign, speaking for the first time and blushing as he withdrew his arm from Edith's waist. Whoo-wee, here's a go, Cloudsley was about to exclaim, but remembering himself he amended his phraseology and said, 
a very embarrassing situation yours sir i cannot regret it certainly not there are laws of god and humanity above all military law and such you obeyed sir i thank you on the part of my young countrywoman said cloudsley who imagined that he could talk about as well as he could fight if the occasion should recur i would do it again yes a thousand times the young man's eyes added to edith only to her but oh perdition while i'm talking here that serpent that copperhead that cobra capella is coming around again how astonishingly tenacious of life all foul venomous creatures are exclaimed cloudsley as he happened to espy thorg moving slightly where he lay and rushed out to dispatch him the other two young people were left alone in the hall i am afraid you have placed yourself in a very very dangerous situation by what you did to save me but do you know oh do you know how happy it has made me can you divine how my heart yes my soul burns with the joy it has given me when i saw you standing there before your enemies so beautiful so calm so constant i felt that i could die for you that i would die for you and when i sprang between you and your pursuers i had resolved to die for you but first to set your soul free edith you should not have fallen into the hands of the soldiers yes i had determined to die for and with you you are safe and whatever befalls me edith you will remember that you are faint you are wounded indeed you are wounded oh where what? oh did any of our people strike you no it was one of our men edith i do not know your other name sweet lady oh never mind my name it is edith that will do but your wound your wound oh you you are very pale here lie down upon this settee oh, oh it is too hard come into my room it opens here upon the hall there is a comfortable lounge there come in and lie down let me get you something thanks thanks dearest lady but i must get on my horse and go go yes edith don't you understand that after what i have done after what i have had the joy of doing the only honourable course left open to me is to go and give myself to answer the charges that may be brought against me oh heaven i know i know what you have incurred by defending me i know the awful penalty laid upon a military officer who lifts his hand against his superior don't go oh don't go and do you really take so much interest in my fate sweetest lady said the youth gazing at her with the deepest and most delightful emotions take an interest in my generous protector oh how should i help it oh, don't, don't go don't think of going you will not will you say that you will not you will not advise me to anything dishonourable i am sure no 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 but oh it such a fearful cost you have saved me oh i think of it i wish you had not interfered to defend me i wish it had not been done and i would not for the whole world that it had not been done do not fear for me sweetest edith i run little risk involuntarily placing myself in the hands of a court-martial for british officers are gentlemen edith you must not judge them by those you have seen 
and when they hear all the circumstances, I have little doubt that my act will be justified. Besides, my fate will rest with Ross, General Ross, one of the most gallant and noble spirits ever created. Edith, and now you must let me go, fairest lady. And he raised his hand respectfully to his lips, bowed reverently, and left the hall to find his horse. Just then Cloudsley was seen approaching, crying out that they had escaped. "'You are not going to leave us, sir?' he asked, catching sight of the ensign. "'I am under the necessity of doing so.' "'But you are not able to travel. You can scarcely sit your horse. Pray do not think of leaving us.' "'You are a soldier, at least an amateur one, and you will understand. But after what has occurred I must not seem to hide myself like a fugitive from justice. In short—' I must go and answer for that which I have done. I understand, but really, sir, you look so very ill, you— But here the young officer held out his hand smilingly, took leave of Cloudsley, and bowing low to Edith, rode off. Cloudsley and Edith followed the gallant fellow with their eyes. He had nearly reached the gate, the old green gate at the farthest end of the semicircular avenue. When the horse stopped, the rider reeled and fell from his saddle. Cloudsley and Edith ran toward him, reached him. Cloudsley disentangled his foot from the stirrup and raised him in his arms. Edith stood pale and breathless by. He has fainted. I knew he was suffering extreme pain. He'd Edith, fly and get some water, or, or rather here, sit down and hold his head while I go. Edith was quickly down by the side of her preserver, supporting his head upon her breast. Cloudsley sped toward the house for water and assistance. When he procured what he wanted and returned, he met the troop of collegians on their return from the chase of the retreating marauders. They reported that they had scattered the fugitives in every direction and lost them in the labyrinths of the forest. Several of them dismounted and gathered around the young ensign. But Cloudsley was now upon the spot, and while he bathed the face of the fainting man, explained to them how it was, and requested someone to ride immediately to the village and procure a physician. Thurston Wilcoxon, the next in command under him, and his chosen brother-in-arms, mounted his horse and galloped off. In the meantime the wounded man was carried to the mansion-house and laid upon a cot in one of the parlours. Presently Edith heard wheels roll up to the door and stop. She looked up. It was the carriage of the surgeon, whom she saw alight and walk up the steps. She went to meet him, composedly as she could, and conducted him to the door of the sick-room, which he entered. Edith remained in the hall, softly walking up and down, and sometimes pausing to listen. After a little the door opened. It was only Solomon Wiseman, who asked for warm water, lint, and a quantity of old linen. These Edith quickly supplied, and then remained alone in the hall, walking up and down, and pausing to listen as before. Once she heard a deep shuddering groan, as of one in mortal extremity and her own heart and frame thrilled to the sound, and then all was still as before. An hour, two hours passed, and then the door opened again, and Edith caught a glimpse of the surgeon with his shirt-sleeves pushed above his elbows, and a pair of bloody hands. It was Solomon who opened the door to ask for a basin of water, towels, and soap for the doctor to wash. Edith furnished these also. Half an hour passed, and the door opened a third time, and the doctor himself came out, fresh and smiling. 
His countenance and his manner were in every respect encouraging. "'Come into the drawing-room a moment, if you please, Miss Edith. I want to speak to you.' Edith desired nothing more earnestly just at that moment. "'Well, doctor, your patient?' she inquired anxiously. "'Will do very well. Will do very well. That is, if he be properly attended to. And that is what I wish to speak to you about, Miss Edith. I have seen you near sick beds before this, my dear.' and I know that I can better trust you than anyone to whom I could at present apply. I intend to install you as his nurse, my dear. When a life depends upon your care, you will waive any scruples you might otherwise feel, Miss Edith, I am sure. You will have your old maid, Jenny, to assist you, and Solomon at hand in case of an emergency." but I intend to delegate my authority and leave my directions with you. Yes, doctor. I will do my very best for your patient. I am sure of that. I am sure of that. Edith watched by his cot through all the night, fanning him softly, keeping his chest covered from the air, and giving him his medicine at the proper intervals, and putting drink to his lips when he needed it but never trusted her eyelids to close for a moment. Jenny shared her vigil by nodding in an easy chair, and Solomon Wiseman, a young medical student, by sleeping soundly on the wooden settee in the hall. So passed the night. After midnight, to Edith's great relief, his fever began to abate, and he sank into a sweet sleep. In the morning Solomon roused himself, and came in, and relieved Edith's watch, and attended to the wants of the patient, while she went to her room to bathe her face and weary eyes. But instead of growing better, the patient grew worse, and for days life was despaired of. The most skillful medical treatment, and the most careful nursing scarcely saved his life and even after the imminent danger was over, it was weeks before he was able to be lifted from the bed to the sofa. In the meantime, Thorg, who was also treated by the doctor, recovered. He took quite an affectionate leave of the young ensign, and with an appearance of great friendliness and honesty, promised to interest himself at headquarters in behalf of the young officer. This somehow filled Edith with a vague distrust and dark foreboding, for which she could neither account nor excuse herself, nor yet shake off. Thorg had been exchanged, and he joined his regiment after its return from Washington City, and before it sailed from the shores of America. Weeks passed, during which the invalid occupied the sofa in his room, and Edith was his sole nurse and then Commodore Waugh, with his wife, servants, and caravan, returned to Luckenough. The old soldier had been posted up, he said, relative to all that had transpired in his absence. There were no words, he declared, to express his admiration of Edith's heroism. It was in vain that Edith assured him that she had not been heroic at all, that the preservation of Luckenough had been due rather to the timely succor of the college boys than to her own imprudent resolution. It did no good. The old man was determined to look upon his niece as a heroine worthy to stand by the side of Joan of Arc. 
for said he was it not the soul of a heroine that enabled her to stay and guard the house and would the college company ever have come to the rescue of these old walls if they had not heard that she had resolutely remained to guard them and was almost alone in the house don't tell me edith is the star maiden of old st mary's and i'm proud of her she is worthy to be my niece and heiress a true descendant of marie zelensky is she and i'll tell you what i'll do edith he said turning to her i'll reward you my dear i will i'll marry you to professor grimshaw that's what i'll do my dear and you shall both have luck enough that you shall months passed the war was over peace was proclaimed and still the young ensign an invalid unable to travel lingered at luckenough regularly he received his pay twice he received an extension of leave of absence and all through the instrumentality of thorg yet all this filled edith with the greatest uneasiness and foreboding ungrateful incomprehensible yet impossible to be delivered from End of chapter 3